Well, how you doing out there, church? Good? All right, good. Hey, that's way better than the first service. You guys got your, got your sleep on this morning. All right. Um, hey, this week uh, we are going to be continuing on in our series called The Greatest Week in History. Uh, next week is Easter. Okay, it's here already. It's kind of weird. All right, it seems like it was just, you know, it seems like that, that change happened fast. It was cold. Now it's like kind of nice out. Or it was nice all last week. But, uh, but spring's here. Easter's here, and uh, this year we're going to add in an extra service that's going to be on Saturday. It's going to be at 4 p.m., and so I want to encourage you guys to come um, to one of our three services. The other two will just be our normal Sunday times, but uh, we want to encourage you guys to invite, 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 especially those of you who are in our church family. Um, The Bible tells us we should be reaching out to people. We should be telling people about the greatest news that they could ever hear, which is how, which is Jesus who came and uh, and died for each and every one of us. I guarantee you, your, your family and friends that you invite and that come here next week, they will hear of that and that story. That's where we will be in that part of the story next week. And so I want to encourage you guys not only to be back here next week for Easter, but also to bring somebody with you and, uh, and to bring a family member or friend or, or whoever to one of those three services. All right? As best, second best, if not the best uh, time of year to invite people. People are going to be, people who don't go to church will be going to church on Easter because, you know, it's what Good Americans do, I guess. But uh, so anyway, it's a perfect time. Use that to our advantage. Uh, and again, let me just reiterate, that's not just to fill a spot here. That's not what we're all about, so that they can hear about Jesus. And uh, next week's going to be our first Easter that we've ever had here, right? That's kind of cool, right? All right. Because um, last year we were at the drive-in. And let me just say, I'm going to be, it's going to be so much more fun for me to do it with a roof um, over my head. So I'm excited about that. All right, I finally get to do an Easter in a building. Okay, all right, here for Tiffin. But uh, there is no better time, or there's no better week in history, hands down, nothing even comes close to the last week that Jesus was alive before his death and ultimately his resurrection. And that's what we started about a couple, started talking about a couple weeks ago. We started the story where a few weeks before Jesus was going to die on the cross, he begins his, his journey, begins his long, long walk back to Jerusalem, and he's not in any hurry. He knows exactly what's going to happen to him, and he knows he's going to die. And, uh, and on his way, he stops in village after village after village, town after town after, t- after town, telling people about what, basically saying, hey, you guys need to get right with God. He's pushing people to make a decision on their relationship with God. And uh, he eventually ends, in this, ends up in this tiny little town called Bethany. This town is two miles away from Jerusalem, so he's almost there. And uh, there he raises a guy from the dead. All right, it's crazy. People are like, what? Is this man named Lazarus? He happened to be a good friend of Jesus. And Lazarus had been dead for four days. And he doesn't do this like, I don't know, behind closed doors. All right, he does this in front of a huge crowd of people. There's people everywhere that are watching this happen, people who have already been to Lazarus's funeral days before. And they watch Lazarus walk out of this cave. That's where he was buried. And, uh, and, and they can't deny it. It's just like, this guy has to be God, or Jesus has to come from God. Like, and so a bunch of people from that moment, they believe in Jesus. And, and word starts to spread that Jesus raised the guy from the dead, as it would today if that happened here. All right? Well, the Saturday before Jesus dies, okay, he dies on a Friday, but the Saturday before, the Bible tells us that people are coming from all over to this little town in Beth, called Bethany to see not only Jesus, but they want to see Lazarus as well. All right? As I would. I want to see the guy who was dead. 
right? Walking around. I want to see if this is true. And so people are coming from all over. They're checking out Jesus. They're listening to what Jesus has to say. They want to see what he's going to do next. They want to see Lazarus. And then the next morning, on Sunday morning, all right, Palm Sunday, this was, I'll get into that in a second, but that's this Sunday, okay, the Sunday before Easter. Um, Jesus, he gets up early with his disciples. They, he rides into Jerusalem, and people are going crazy, right? He just healed this guy from the dead. or Yeah, not healed, but raised him from the dead. You know, he's done these miracles. People are like, hey, this is the Messiah that God had promised us hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years later in the Old Testament. Like, the people believe it's him. Like, th- how could anybody do the things that Jesus is doing if he's not the Savior that we've been waiting for for hundreds of years? And so they believe that Jesus is going to set himself up as king and that he is going to overthrow the Roman government and that Israel is going to be a nation again. By the way, they hadn't been a nation for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And so everybody's excited. People are shouting, long live the king, like Hosanna. And, they're, and Jesus, as he's riding into Jerusalem, he's, they're throwing down their coats for him to ride over. They're waving palm branches. That's why we call it Palm Sunday. And uh, everybody's going crazy. It's like a sweet party, all right? Everybody's pumped. Everybody's excited, except for one group of people. And those are the, like, the ultra-religious people, all right? The religious leaders of that day, most of them at least, didn't like it. They didn't want people following Jesus. Jesus didn't quite square up with their way of thinking. And, the, you know, they, and Jesus and the religious leaders, which is kind of weird to think about, but they constantly butt heads throughout Jesus' three years, or for the past three years at that point. And so uh, Jesus, he rides into Jerusalem on, sa- on Sunday. He goes up to the temple. And he just kind of looks around, and then he goes back to Bethany uh, for the night. And throughout this week, he goes back to Bethany every single night. He's staying at Lazarus's house. Um, like I said last week, it's like the it's like you know, it's the least Lazarus could do, right? Like Jesus raised him from the dead. Okay, so yeah, you could crash at my place, and all twelve of your guys too. Probably a little crowded, but they did that. So they're there all. All, you know, they go there every night throughout the week. But Monday morning, Jesus and his disciples, and they walk back to Jerusalem. The Bible says that they go up to the temple, and Jesus looks around at what's happening, and he realizes that, hey, you know, there's people, everybody's got their, like, little table set up. There's vendors all around. People are making money. People are exchanging money. All this stuff's happening, and it really ticks Jesus off, all right? We don't view Jesus as somebody who necessarily gets angry, right? We view Jesus as like the meek and mild little middle school girl, right? Who, uh, you know, no offense, middle school girls, but, uh, but who's just like very sweet and loving and blessing people, okay? And while, yeah, technically, sure, that is a part of who Jesus was, maybe, but uh, here, Jesus is not like that at all, right? He, is, he starts flipping over tables. He's throwing things. He's moving stuff around. He won't let people leave with like their merchandise that they just purchased. And, and Jesus is ticked. Actually, he tells the people, he says, you guys have taken the most holy place like in the entire planet, the temple that you are here to worship God in, and you've turned it into a den of robbers. That's what he says. And he is so mad and, and angry. And when he does this, the religious leaders who kind of set all this up, they get mad and angry too. And so they start, you know, they they start uh, deciding, hey, we got to kill this guy, right? Not only are people believing in Jesus, right, because he raised Lazarus from the dead, which I'm assuming they didn't believe that was real, you know, and so now they're saying, hey, we got to kill Jesus, we got to kill Lazarus, and uh, he's, he's messing up our system. He's messing up our religion that we have been doing for, for hundreds of years, right? And, and, so, uh, and so on Tuesday, 
all right, or sorry, Monday, uh, that all happens, and Jesus and the disciples, they head back to Bethany for the night. The next morning, they wake up, they head back to Jerusalem, and uh, again, only two miles away, and, and uh, the religious leaders start questioning Jesus. They go up to the temple, right, and they're like, hey, Jesus, who do you think you are? Right? Who gave you the right to like tell us what to do? You know, you know, we have all these credentials. We're the, we've been the religious rulers. You just kind of stepped on the scene a few a few uh, years ago, and and they kind of they try to trap Jesus. And and we looked at kind of what uh, some of what Jesus had to say last week. And after Jesus and his disciples, after they they kind of argue with the with these religious leaders for a while, they leave the Jerusalem and they go back to Bethany for the night. And uh, later that night, the Bible tells us is when Judas. He sneaks back to Jerusalem. He leaves the group without anybody knowing. He sneaks back to Jerusalem, and he meets with these religious leaders. And his basic question is, hey, what will you give me if I hand Jesus over to you? What will you give me if I give you Jesus? And so from that moment on, Judas starts looking for a way to betray Jesus. He starts looking for a way to give or to to have Jesus arrested. And that's where we left off last week. And so today, what we're going to do is it's going to be a little bit different. We're going to move around from book to book, which isn't something that I necessarily always like to do. I like to stay in like one section of the Bible, and this, this is what this author is trying to tell us. And so what is that? But here, we're telling a story, and there's four different guys, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, who are all telling us various parts of the same story, okay? And they all have different details. And Matthew and John are there because they're disciples. Mark was probably there as well. And, um, and so they're telling different, you know, they're giving different accounts, different details of the same story. And so we're going to be looking at uh, some of this different, we're going to be looking at some different books. Uh, but Wednesday, nothing really happens majorly. It's, uh, he's back, Jesus goes back to Jerusalem. Uh, many saw what Jesus did. They had heard what he had to say. And, and the Bible tells us that many believed, right? In fact, too many believed. And the religious leaders got so mad, they, they hated it. And so Jesus got, on Wednesday, Jesus is teaching the, the Judas, he's looking for a way to arrest Jesus. And the religious leaders, they're looking for a way to kill Jesus, And on Thursday morning, they go back to Bethany for the night. Thursday morning, Jesus heads back up to Jerusalem with his disciples to celebrate. And uh, and they're there to celebrate this eight-day festival, which was called the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, also known as Passover. And this was a super old, uh, this was the oldest Jewish festival. And this was a super big deal, okay, huge deal. And this festival we see was instituted all the way back um, in, at the time of the Exodus. Some of us know that story. Some of us may be a little foggy on this. But uh, the Israel, they were slaves in Egypt for about 300 years. This is way back, you know, almost 1,500 years before Jesus' time, back in the Old Testament. And uh, they're slaves in, in Egypt for about 300 years. And uh, God raises up this man called Moses, or goes to this man called Moses, says, hey, Moses, I want you to go to Egypt, and I want you to go lead my people out of out of you know slavery and uh, and Moses at first doesn't want to go, but he eventually goes and he goes to Pharaoh and says, "Hey, God wants me to tell you to let his people go." And Pharaoh's like, "No, all right." And so one after another, God sends these plagues upon uh, upon Egypt. Just these bad things start happening, and each in between each time, Moses comes to Pharaoh and says, hey, "Are you ready now?" And Moses and Pharaoh's like, "No, I'm not letting him go. I'm not letting him go. I'm not letting him go until nine of them have passed." And the 10th one, God tells Moses, he says, hey, this is going to be the worst one. And Pharaoh's going to let the Israelites go, the Jewish people go after this. And uh, he says, I'm going to kill all the firstborn in the entire land, like animals, people, everything. 
So he tells the Israelite people, he says, hey, you guys, <clears throat> get some lamb's blood, all right, and put it over the doorway. And when that happens, the, um, you know, the angel that's going to take care of this, the, you know, he says the angel's just going to pass over your, that house, all right? You get it? Pass over. All right, angel passed over. That's why it was called that. Anyway, um, anyway. But, uh, and so that happens. And sure enough, the next morning, Pharaoh's like, get out, all right? All your people leave, just as God had told, told Moses what happened. And, and what God wanted to do, actually, this, doing this festival called Passover, this was God's idea. And what God wanted the Jewish people to do is he wanted them to celebrate this every year and basically remember what God had done for them, okay? It's just to remember it. And so at this time, back, fast forward back to where Jesus is, at this time, Jerusalem is filled with hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people from all over the world. People have flocked to Jerusalem for this Passover, and, and most of them are Jewish. And Jesus and his disciples, they're also there to celebrate, just as God had commanded them. And that's where we pick, off in our, pick up in our story. Um, Matthew chapter 26, verse 17 says this. On the first day of unleavened bread, that's this festival, the disciples came to Jesus and they asked, uh, so Jesus, where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? All right, where are we going to do this at? It's not like they have a house in, you know, in Jerusalem. Where's, where, what's the deal here? What's your plan? And so Jesus says, yeah, go into the city to a certain man. And he said, and tell this guy, he says, the teacher says, my time is near. I'm actually celebrating the Passover at your place with my disciples. So the disciples, and we know in Mark that this is actually uh, Peter and John. It says, so Peter and John, they did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. Now, this would have taken them almost all day, because there was a lot of stuff that went into this big Passover meal. All right? So they're doing this. They're, they're preparing all day. They're, they're working at it. They got some stuff they got to do at the temple. Then they got to go back to this house. They got to prepare the meal. It's like a big, big deal. Next verse. It says, when evening came... He was, Jesus, was reclining at the table with the 12. Now, some of us were like, what's that mean? He's reclining at the table? Like, has he got this lazy boy? And he's just like, ah, you know, which doesn't sound like a bad situation to me, all right? Uh, but that's not what was going on. What well, kind of was what was going on, all right? Uh, the tables that they would use is like a super low table, all right? And, uh, and they would have like cushions all around the table. And that's you, where you would sit. So you kind of sit and recline. And actually, it sounds like a pretty good a pretty good deal. I don't know why we've ever, why we got away from that. Sounds way better than chairs. But for some reason, someone made that decision at some point in history, and now we do that. But anyway, so whatever. That has nothing to do with what I'm talking about. We are, so they're reclining at the table. It says, while they were eating, he said to them. So he's just like, they're talking, having their casual conversation. And he says, truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me. Wow. Jesus, you know, it's like, okay, what's going on here? And, and this instantly, like, sparks conversation, right? Everybody's just like, what is he talking about? And John tells us, remember, John's actually there. This is Matthew. Matthew was there, too. But John tells us that Jesus' spirit was trouble, right? And the word that he uses there in the, in the Greek, it means, like, disturbed. It means, like, he is stirred up inside. Like, something is, is bothering Jesus a lot, and, 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 and he's, you know, and he just kind of puts it out there. He said, like, I tell you, one of you guys, one of you guys are going to betray me. I mean, think about how it had been for Jesus at this point, right? Like, like he's been pouring into these guys for three years. They've seen everything that he's done. I mean, they just saw him raise a guy from the dead. 
Right? They, he's, he, they've heard what he has to say. He loves them. He enjoys them. He very much cares about them. And he knows that on this very night that one of them is just going to flat out betray him. And it bothers him. See, it's interesting to me as, as I was thinking about this this week and I'm kind of going through and just, you know, we think of God as a being who's not like super invested, I feel like, um, in our lives, who like, knows everything that happens in our life. And yeah, like we would say generally, yet cares, right? But we don't think of him as like when we do something wrong, like it bothers him. You know, we just don't think about it that, like, you know, it's not that big of a deal. But Jesus, he knows the decision that Judas is about to make. And he cares about, Jesus, or he cares about Judas, and, and it, it bothers him. His spirit is, like, troubled. His spirit is stirred up on the inside. Like, it's, it's messed up. And when Jesus says this, all right, immediately, the disciples, they start talking. I mean, it sparks conversation. They're saying things like this. It says, deeply distressed, each one of them, they begin to say, they're like, whoa, Jesus, surely not I, Lord. Uh, uh, that's, you know, that, I know that's not me. I'm not going to do that. They're all saying, no, it's not going to be me. All right, that's, that's, there's no way. All right, I would never do that to you. And John tells us a little bit of information. John says, yeah, actually, I was a guy who was sitting right next to to Jesus, and Peter was like across the table or something. Peter motions to me. He's like, hey, ask him. All right, so he motions after Jesus says this, and one of them's going to betray him. And so John says he like kind of leaned back real close to Jesus, and he whispers. He's like, wait, what are you talking about? Who, who is it? And Jesus, he's got a little piece of bread in his hand, and he takes it. He says, it's going to be the one, it's the disciple that I give this piece of bread to. And he dips this piece of bread, and he hands it to Judas. He says that John's the only one who knows at this point. Now, I feel like, let's talk about Judas real quick, all right? I feel like many of us, we grow up in church, we view Judas as like super evil, all right? He's the bad guy. Peter's the good guy. You know, Jesus is the good guy. We, th- we think of this stuff, but, uh, and, and Judas was evil. I'm not going to say that he wasn't like, what he did was an evil thing. But uh, we view him as this like sinister, shadowy figure among the disciples. You know, he's got the shifty eyes. He's got like the little horns, you know, maybe underneath his hat. Um, it's kind of like how OSU fans view Jim Harbaugh. You know what I mean? We view him as kind of like that. Um, kind of hissed when he talked, maybe, you know. Um, but picture this. Like, like when Jesus tells them that someone is going to betray him, they don't all look at Judas. Right? They don't all go like, it's that guy. I know it. Sorry, Judd. Right? They don't do that. Right, they don't go, oh, obviously it's him, okay? We all know it. No, none of us, or, you know, none of us want to say it out loud, but we all know who Jesus is talking about. And that's not what the disciples are doing, right? The disciples are like, who would ever do that? None of us are going to do that. Like, you know, Jesus, maybe you don't know us as good as, as you know, you, you think you do. Or, and so during this little uproar, because that's what it causes, everybody's like, what? What's going on here? As they're all denying that they would do such a thing, the Bible tells us that Judas, he gets up, and what Jesus turns to Judas, and he says, hey, what you're about to do, do it quick. And the disciples, they have no clue what's going on. In John, John 13 tells us that none of those reclining at the table, right, knew why he had said this to them. They're all like, I don't know what Jesus is talking about here. And since Judas, he kept the money bag, and some thought that Jesus was telling him, hey, just buy what you need for the festival, or that you should give something to the poor, or something really good like that. 
But after receiving the piece of bread, he immediately left. And John tells us, and it was night at this point. Such detail that John gives us in his account of everything that happened happens. But nobody knows. Even when Judas gets up and leaves the room, people are like, well, it's definitely not Judas. He's probably going to go do something really good, right? Feed the poor, something like that. But the Bible tells us it's not what Judas does, right? Judas goes and he, he goes straight to the religious leader and, and he tells the religious leaders, he says, hey, tonight's the night, All right? Like, this is the best time. We need to do this tonight. Like, Jesus has got to go. Maybe he's even telling them, like, I think he's on to me, all right? I'm not sure. So we got we to gotta take care of this when we, when we have, you know, the chance. And as Judas is betraying Jesus, as that is happening, the disciples, they are still at the table, and they're having this conversation about who would betray Jesus and who would not betray Jesus, and it actually turns to an argument about who's the greatest. Isn't that crazy? They start arguing with each other, saying, well, I'm better than you. I wouldn't do it. You're not as good as me. You probably, you're going to be the one to do it. And they start arguing with each other about who's better than the other. And it's what they don't realize is that this is their last night with Jesus. They don't have a clue. They're arguing about who's better than the other. It's like they're going back to middle school here. And later that night, it's interesting because Jesus actually tells them all. He says, hey, by, by the way, all of you guys are going to fall away. All right, all of you guys are going to betray me. And he's like, yeah, Judas is going to do it. Or he actually doesn't tell them. He's like, yeah, one of you guys, I was talking specifically about one of you guys, but all of you guys are going to do this. And when that happens, Peter stands up in Matthew chapter 26, verse 33. Uh, Peter told him, he says, whoa, Jesus, all right, I don't know about this. Like, even if everyone falls away. He's probably looking at people like even if John and Matthew and them and him, even if all these guys, maybe even pointed at him, even if these guys fall away because of you, he's like, I will never fall away. He's like, "Uh uh-uh, not me. Like, I'm Peter. Maybe all these guys, but not me. And Jesus turns to Peter and says, Peter, or Pete, I don't know, maybe he called him Pete. All right, Pete. He says, Satan has already asked for you by name. He says, Satan has already asked to sift you like wheat. Wouldn't that freak you out? Wait, Satan's asking for me? Satan's already asking for Peter by name. To sift him like wheat. And, and probably at that moment, all the disciples were like, whoa, okay. And that's kind of scary. But Jesus says, but Peter, I've prayed for you. And by the way, what I'm saying is true. You will fall, but you're going to turn back. You'll come back to me. Next verse. He says, truly I tell you, Jesus said to him, as, Jesus stand, as Peter's standing up saying how good he is, he's and saying how he's probably better than everybody else because they're all arguing about that. He says, truly I say to you that tonight before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me not once, not twice, but three times. And Jesus, Peter's just like, nah. uh Lord, you're wrong. He says, even if I have to die with you, Peter told him, I will never deny you. I'm not going to do it. You don't know me. You, you, don't, you don't know what I can do. And it says, and all the disciples said the same thing. So not only is Peter saying, Jesus, you're not right. All right, all the disciples are standing around saying, no way, I'm, not, I'm with you to the end. All right, I'm with you to the, through the thick and thin. All right, maybe this guy, maybe this guy, but it's not me. They're all saying the same thing. And Peter's he's going, no, no, Jesus, I walked on water. Right? Like, I'm the rock. You called me the rock, all right? I'm not going to fall away. And Jesus is saying, no, you all 
have a price. It's true. Like we look at Judas and it's like, wow, you know, he had a price. We know what that was. It was 30 pieces of silver. That was the deal that he made. Then we look at Peter and it's like, yeah, Peter had a price too. We're going to talk about that next week when he denies Jesus the three times. But, but his price ends up being he doesn't want to die or he doesn't want to get arrested. And so that's the point where he's like, eh, I'm going to distance myself from Jesus a little bit here. And so really, this just got me thinking this week as I'm, as I'm sitting here, I'm studying through this, I'm trying to figure out, you know, I'm just like, you know, I'm applying it to my life as I'm trying to apply it to your life here this morning. But I'm just thinking about it. I'm like, what is my price? You ever think about that? Like, what's your price? Like, we get as easy following Jesus when it's convenient. Okay, we all understand that. It's easy to follow Jesus when we're here in church, surrounded by people who follow Jesus. All right, we get it. Um, but at what point do you stop? That's your price. Like, think about that for a second. At what point do you stop following Jesus? Or at what point does your commitment to Jesus stop? What's your price? I don't know. Maybe you downplay church or downplay Jesus or downplay God to your coworkers or your friends, right? Because you want to fit in, okay? Or you, you don't want them to look at that like religious nut or whatever that might be. Or maybe there's some area in your life where you don't want to give God control yet. And you're like, yeah, God, you can have like this, but not like this. I'm holding this thing tight. I don't want, I don't want to give this up. Or maybe God has convicted you uh, with something, maybe it's a bad habit, maybe it's, you know, how you entertain yourself, maybe it's some relationship that you know you shouldn't be in, and you're just like, yeah, I'm not, not ready to give that up. Maybe it's something as simple as baptism. We just had baptism a couple weeks ago. We're going to have another one in, a, in a, just over a month. But maybe it's baptism where you're just like, I don't know, it's awkward. You got to get up on stage in front of people. You know, you know everybody's looking at me. I just, you have to get wet. You know, it's going to mess up my hair. It's whatever that might be. And it's, it's commitment. Your commitment to Jesus stops at inconvenience. That's your price. Maybe it's, you're living with your girlfriend or boyfriend. You know, you're just like, yeah, it's the lifestyle I want. So we keep on doing it. Or, or maybe you're not living with them, but, you, but you're sleeping together. You're just like, yeah, I'm going to keep on doing it. I'm going to just, just going to hope God's okay with it. Maybe you work too much because you need the money. That's your price. Maybe you've never given God control of your finances because, I don't know, you just don't trust him. Or that's what you, you know, hold on to the tightest. And, and it's like, you know, I'll follow Jesus if it doesn't cost me anything, if it doesn't cost me any money and you're not generous. Maybe you haven't told anyone about Jesus for a long, 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 long time. Maybe you haven't invited anybody to church for a long, long, long time. And you feel God nudging you in your heart. Like, you know people in your life. You're just like, yeah, I know. This person definitely needs Jesus, all right? This person's got issues, all right? You got people in your life that you're pointing at. You, you know, all right, that, that they need that message about what Jesus has done for them. But you just resist it. And you know what God wants you to do, but you just resist, right? That's your price, the awkwardness or the uncomfortableness. Maybe you haven't committed to church and you're sitting on the sideline. You don't serve. You don't give. All right, you come and sit in the same seat every week, but you know, you're not really um, committed. You're not really involved with what's going on here. And deep down, you know that church is more than just an event with like a religious pep talk, whatever we call this, whatever you call this, right? But you like the feeling of freedom that comes with not committing. 
That's your price. And so whatever it is that's keeping you from growing your relationship with Jesus or taking the next step, really, that's your price. And where that's where your commitment to Jesus stops. And so I just want you to think about what's your price? I was just thinking about that this week. You know, what's crazy to me is this. Jesus goes willingly to the cross just hours later from this moment, knowing that each of his disciples have a price, knowing that each of his disciples will deny him, they will betray him, they will downplay him, just like some of us do, you know, today. And he still goes. Like, can you picture, can you picture this moment? Like, just think about this. Can you picture this night? You got, here is Jesus, right? He knows everything that's going to happen to him within the next few hours. Like, he knows it. And one of his disciples at that very moment is betraying him, right, for some money, okay? You got other disciples, they're arguing with him, saying, hey, you know, we'll never betray you. We're with you to the end. They're saying this, but they're just lying. But that night, Jesus knows that they all will. And then they're arguing with each other about which one's better after Jesus has just poured into him for three long years. And through all this commotion and through all this arguing, the Bible tells us that Jesus, he stands up in Luke 22, and this is what he says. He says, then he said to them, he says, I have fervently desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you that I I will not eat it again until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. He starts off by saying, hey, he's like, I've longed for this moment. You know, if I were him, I'd be like, yeah, I've longed for this moment, and you guys are ruining it. He doesn't say that. He's like, I've longed for this moment. This is our last time together. Bad stuff is about to happen. You know, this this is it. He's saying, I'm going to suffer, and I'm going to die. The disciples, they're just like, what is he talking about? Why is Jesus being so weird tonight? Like, why is he coming on us? Like, what do we do? I haven't denied him. I haven't, I haven't betrayed him. I haven't fallen away. What was he talking about, about this bad stuff? And this says, then Jesus, he took a cup. And after giving thanks, he said, take this and share it among yourselves. And so they start passing that around. And he says, for I tell you, from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine. I will not have a drink until the kingdom of God comes. All right? He's saying something's going to happen. I'm about to die. And then he took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it. And he gave it to them. And he said, hey, this is my body, which is given for you. He says, do this in remembrance of me. Now, his disciples, they don't fully understand what's about to happen. They don't get it. They're kind of clueless here. They're they're lost. And it's interesting because when we think of communion, because that's what Jesus is like instituting here. When we think of communion or or the Lord's Supper or whatever we call it, we think of the first one, right? We think of like the pictures, you know, like the famous pictures where they're all sitting at a big table. They're all wearing their like robes. And, uh, and Jesus is like glowing a little bit. And they're all telling, bless you, Peter. You know, like, like they're just, you know, they're just like all super nice and, and soft. You know, I don't know. But, uh, but they're doing that. That's not how the first, that's not how this night looked at all. They're bickering with each other. They're fighting with each other. All right, one of them just left to go betray Jesus. And they're, they're, you know, there's just this argument and all this stuff is going on. That's the reality of how this night was. And then Jesus stands up and he says, hey, I want you to, here's some bread. Here, here's, some, some, here's the cup. All right, he says, drink this, eat this. All right, do this in remembrance of me. And I think Jesus knew that we are a people who are prone to forget. 
Like even this, Jesus dying on the cross, like I know, right? And I, I 100% believe, like he did that for me personally. And, and you know, I, I know that happened. That's not something I think about all the time. Sometimes I forget. It's not like on the forefront of my mind because we get busy with all this other stuff. Sometimes we just, to, we, you know, we just forget. And here's Jesus on this last night. He's saying, no, no, no. I want you to remember what I'm about to do for you. I want you to remember that in my death, your sin dies too. See, that's what communion is all about. We remember in communion that God paid our bill. We had a bill that was so big, it was more than what any of us could ever pay. All right, God came in. He didn't say, hey, you know, I'll, we'll split it 50-50. He didn't do that. He didn't say, hey, I'll, I'll take care of this partially. No, he paid our bill in full on that, Christ, on that cross. And what Jesus is doing here is he's saying, hey, we need sometimes to get realigned and remember exactly what Jesus did. That's what communion does, right? It realigns us. We get you know, focused on some of these other things, and some of these other things are good. I'm not saying they're bad. They just shouldn't be our number one main focus. And so that's what communion does. It shifts us back to our main focus, which is what Jesus did on the cross 2,000 years ago. And for the past 2,000 years, the church has spent time remembering just like Jesus told us to do. And that's what we're going to do here today. By the way, the Bible tells us that there's two types of people in this room. There's people who have a relationship with Jesus and there's people who don't. All right, I think one of the easiest ways to figure out which, one, which camp you, you fall into is if there is not a time, a specific moment in your life that you remember making that decision to follow Jesus some point in your past, then my guess is 90, you know, I'm 99% sure that you are not a Christian, okay? Not a real one. All right, too many people, they trick themselves, trick, trick themselves in thinking that they're good, and then they're not. They never started that relationship. It's a decision that you have to make in your mind to start that relationship, and a lot of people have, haven't. And so, if, you know, if that's you this, this morning, you need, to, you need to get right with God and start that relationship with God. But I also know that there's people in this room that, you know, you're just like, like, you're just not super religious in that sense of, if you're not like sure what you believe yet. Like you're, you're seeking, trying to figure it out. I just want to tell you, man, we are glad that you're here. You are so welcome here at Grace, okay? We actually, we, and I'm not saying this is just the pastor, I'm saying this is like us here as a family, because that's what we are here at Grace, all right? We are a family. We want to invite you to come all the way in. Right? You know, jump in on a Bible study, schedule a meeting with a pastor, talk to one of your friends or whoever, whoever invited you. Um, we have nothing to hide. We want you to ask your questions. You can have your doubts. You can even bring your anger or your hurt. We'll take that too. But the Bible says that communion is specifically for those who have that relationship with Jesus, for, specifically for those who believe. And even for us as believers, the Bible tells us that we can take communion in an unworthy manner. And actually, the Bible gives us like a kind of intense warning about that. Well, what's that mean? What's an unworthy manner? Basically, it's this. If we have any sin in our life that's unrepentant, okay, meaning we haven't like confessed it or we don't, we we, we don't acknowledge it, meaning, meaning we just ignore it. We got this thing going on in our life that's wrong, that's sin, that we just ignore it. Or we just go, ah, God's okay with it. No, no, not a big deal. He doesn't, he doesn't care. Bible says, man, you, as a Christian, you take communion and you got that going on in your heart, Bible says you better watch out. So really, that's what communion is. And, and, that, and that's what I want to do this morning. We're going to get ready. We're going to take it as a church, as a church family. 
But first, I want to give each and, every one of us, each and every one of us a minute just to make sure we're good with God, right? Just to make sure that, that you know, if you don't have a relationship with God, you need to get right with God right now. Like, you're not, you should do that. That's what you should be focused on, All right? If you don't remember a specific time, do that during this time, okay? But for the rest of us who are Christians, all right, or, or have that relationship with God, we need to get right with God. We need to basically acknowledge the issues that we have going on in our life. And so real quick, I want to just give us a minute where it's just between you and God and take care of that in your own heart right now. As you walked in this morning, um, hopefully you were handed one of these cups. And uh, right now, if you would, you could peel back the one side that has a little piece of bread in it. And I just want to remember Jesus' words that we read here today. Right? We're on that very night, the night before he was going to be put to death. Jesus, he looks at his disciples, the 11 that are left, and he says, hey, this is my body, which is given for you. He says, do this in remembrance of me. So let's go ahead and take that right now as our church family. And, um, and let's take a second right after just to remember what Jesus has done for us on that cross, his body that was broken. If you flip that cup over, you can peel back the next part with the juice. And I just want to remember what Jesus said here, his own words, which were, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. He says, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink it and just remember what Jesus did for us on that cross. Well, next week we'll finish the story 
um, for Easter. And just want to remind you guys as a church family, again, that we need to invite, 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 use this time of year um, to invite our family and friends to church. And we're going to talk about the immeasurable amount of hope that Jesus gave to us as he went to that cross on that Friday 2,000 years ago. Um, it's just interesting in this, in this passage that as soon, the, the Bible tells us that as soon as Jesus gets done with, with showing them communion and saying, hey, I, guys, I want you guys to do this, to remember what I'm about to do for you. And again, the disciples don't know what's going on. They don't know it's their last night with them, but Jesus does. And, um, and Jesus, they all stand up and they begin to sing to, with each other. And it's really the last thing that they do. And so as a church family here this morning, we're going to sing one last song with each other, just like the disciples did that night.